podcast channel is about you, successful international entrepreneurs, successful expats, successful investors, sponsored by ECJ Contacts. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, depending on what part of the world you are. Welcome to our live stream. Uh, just, okay, online, online, okay. Welcome to our live stream. And um, this is htga.tax. And we do these live streams every week where we pick a jurisdiction or a topic that would be of interest, especially to those who are uh, international. So they expose to more than one jurisdiction. And today we have the honor of being joined audio only by Ms. Rosalind Flax. Uh, Rosalind, would you like to introduce yourself, please? You would need to unmute yourself if you're speaking. Uh, Rosalind? Okay, I think there may be some technical difficulties. I'm going to ask her to unmute me. Ah, there you are. Okay. We can hear you now. There you go. Hi, everyone. My name is Rosalind Flax. I'm in Toronto, Canada, uh, where it's still warm and we're still at home and still masked. Um, I'm a CPA with a Master of Science. Uh, my first love is quantum physics. Accounting comes second. <laughs> and tax comes a, a far distant um, hundredth level. Um, so I'm happy to be meeting you all. Uh, sorry, I have a new computer and I don't know how to, uh, my camera's not working yet. So I apologize for the blank screen, but it's nice to meet all of you. Okay, fantastic. So uh, we sent when we did well after Hannah sent out the, the link to join on the live stream, I sent an email asking or inviting some of you to submit your questions. Uh, of course, this is not a forum to give legally binding advice. What you've done, uh, what we've done is we've taken the, the emails that you've sent in and thanks for sending those. And we pulled out like the general principles and the general topics. So we just have, we wanna have like a brief discussion around the issues that you guys raised. If it is that you want what we call like actionable intelligence or you want actual advice, then you would need to engage someone and that person you take a deeper dive into your situation that you can get guidance that is relevant to your unique circumstances right so just just letting you know this is just a general conversation about general principles this is not advice right and as you are also aware that this is being recorded so if it is you do not want your image to appear you feel free you can just turn off your your video your video stream or turn off your camera uh, we'll go through the questions that have been submitted in advance, and then at the end, if we still have time, we will go through the questions that you have provided here this evening. So if, if something comes to mind, feel free to type in the box below. Just, just, just type, uh, you know, just type in the box below, and we get to it in the order in which we see it. Okay, great, fine. So the first question, 
and thank you for sending this in, is how do I sever or cut tax residency with Canada when I move abroad, when I move to a new country? So how do you do that, uh, Rosalind? Okay, with great difficulty, since Canada has gone into great debt. Uh, and um, so they're trying to keep everybody as paying taxes in Canada. So you have to really construct this. The, the first issue are significant residential ties with Canada. The first thing they look at. Uh, that would be owning a home in Canada. Um, you, just as an aside, if you do own a home in Canada, they don't force you to sell it. You can rent it. The main thing is not to have unlimited access to, to the home. So you can rent it. You should have a, a, a long-term lease that you can show them if they come to look. And you would put on, you know, when you're um, telling them, when you're describing your, um, your significant, your lack of significant residential ties with Canada, you would bring that out that you have a lease. Um, you would, uh, uh, another thing would be if you leave any dependents in Canada, spouse or common law, common law or, or regular spouse, children, uh, de dependent children, or dependent elderly parents or anybody that's dependent on you. Those, um, those two items, um, owning your own home and dependents are that, that if you checked any of these boxes, they would likely consider you to still be um, a what they call a factual resident, even if you left, even if you were away more than, a, uh, if you were away from Canada more than 183 days or more than half a year, this would still be enough to make you a factual resident and taxed as a Canadian uh, resident. In Canada, we are taxed on residency, where, whereas you have countries like the US where you're taxed on citizenship. Canada doesn't care about citizenship, they care about residency. Um, then if, if, you, if you do not tick any of those boxes, you can still get pulled in because they, they look at second, what they call secondary residential ties. And there's a whole long list. Things like if you leave personal property in Canada, a car, furniture, clothing, jewelry, you know, anything really valuable. If you maintain a mailing address in Canada, if you have social ties in Canada, like uh, memberships, recreational memberships, or religious memberships, um, you're pulled in. If you even adult non-dependent children are a factor, although not like the dependent children. Another issue is um, economic ties to Canada, things like Canadian bank accounts, credit cards, retirement accounts. Even though you're allowed to, you, you can be a non-resident and still have retirement accounts. It's still a factor in your residency status. Investment accounts, brokerage accounts, driver's license, Canadian passport, uh, which you wouldn't want to give up, and a, a health insurance in Canada, or if you're, you know, involved in any of the health, looking for any of the health insurance to continue on. Um, the other things would be they do look they do look at how the actual physical stay in Canada, the, the 183 day substantial presence presence rule, but that by itself alone isn't enough. It's just another it's another factor, a strong factor, but another factor. And then they also look at your intent when you left. Do you intend to come back? Um, they look 
the at the object of what you're doing you know, are you just leaving Canada for a few years is it temporary are you just doing it because you have a contract and you don't want to pay Can Canadians exorbitant tax rate of over 50 percent um, and just in general continuity so those are some of the things that CRA looks at um, but, uh, so if you're deemed a if you're deemed to be a factual resident, um, which we went over all of those ties, uh, other things that can, you can get caught not expecting are things like, like you could be temporary if you're teaching outside of Canada. Uh, if you are vacationing outside of Canada for a long period, you have to watch it, even though you would think that a vacation is nothing, you could still be you know, pulled in as a factual resident. If you're com commuting, you know, for business, that can still pull you in um, back and forth. We have a lot of clients who are teaching, who are professors, and they can be teaching in two countries. And it, we have a heck of a time because both countries want to tax them. Um, and of course, they don't want to be taxed in Canada because the tax rate is higher here. Um, if you're attending school outside of the country, you can, you can get a, an exemption. Um, the one thing, if you're a missionary, you can get you can get exempt from this. You're allowed to be a missionary if you meet certain requirements and not become a non-resident um, and not become uh, not be pulled in. Um, otherwise, uh, you can be you can still be deemed a resident if you have no significant ties and you're here more than 180 days. There's a class called a deemed resident that you can get pulled into. What we found, the pandemic has sort of changed everything. Um, we found that uh, that whereas before, the, the government seems to be pushing towards um, try obviously trying to keep people dependent in Canada. It's also taking them over a year sometimes to give you your result. So a lot of people are being left in limbo. They don't know where they're at because technically. You can't go ahead and file till you get your residency status, and they can take up to a year to come back to you. There is a form you're, you can fill out. It is optional. Uh, it's called the Form NR73, Determination of Residency. I would highly recommend anybody filling that out, that it's done. We usually work with a law firm as well as uh, ourselves because you want the solicitor client privilege. And you want to be able to basically tell the lawyer the, you know, the whole situation. If you tell it to us, we don't have solicitor client privilege. So, you know, you want to be very careful how you handle that and anything like that, especially if you've got a situation where it really makes a difference what the date of your residency is. Like, for example, if you let's say you have a business that all of a sudden took off because of the an online business that took off because of the pandemic. If the valuation in two years is, is way higher, and, you know, as the government may want to call you a resident later so that they can pick up the capital gain. And although, and if you're not eligible for the exemption, um, you could, you know, you could, it could really matter. So you have to be very careful. That's about, so if you want to sever, so the answer to come around to your question was, if you want to sever ties with Canada and you want it to stick, you have to look at everything, all your, Things that you wouldn't even consider, like you know, people often store clothing. You, you you would try and untick as many of these boxes as you can, so that you would get the result. And um, if it really matters, it's I think you should 
we would recommend you fill out the NR73 and work where you work with a CA and a lawyer to get a CPA and a lawyer together so that the CPA can you know, guide the lawyer, but you have solicitor client privilege with the lawyer. Would there be any, anything further to that question? No, thank you very much. That was super comprehensive. And it does remind me. Okay, sorry, I'm getting a little bit of a feedback. So I'm just gonna, okay, right. Yeah, and it, it reminds me of the, the center of life test that we see in, uh, in Europe. And to, uh, I guess a large extent, the, the other Commonwealth countries like UK, Australia, New Zealand, and stuff like that, that, that's pretty good. Thank you very much for that. I think that covers all the bases. So the next question and, and kind of follows from that is if you're working abroad, doing whatever you're doing, is there any advantage to remaining Canadian tax resident even though you're abroad and tech and you can, as you as for your guidance earlier, you can sever ties so that you're not Canadian tax resident. And is there an advantage to remaining so even though you're working abroad? Um, before I go to answer that, I, I wanted to introduce my one of my associates, Catherine. She's on uh, Catherine Dotton Adams. She's an FCCA from uh, the UK, or trained in the UK, and she's with us. Uh, and you can probably see her picture because she knows how to work her computer and she's waiting. Um, okay, so to answer that question, which is the flip side of the other question, um, of course, some of it is obvious and not necessarily tax related, our healthcare system, which has its, its, its good and its bad. Um, the good is obviously we don't pay for it. We can't be bankrupted by you know, a serious illness. The bad is sometimes the waiting lines are really long. And of course, the COVID threw our whole system for, for a loop. So that we're backed up about three years for operations. The good thing is, though, if you're if you're a Canadian, um, if you have a Canadian passport, you can always come back if, God forbid, you got sick, right? Um, so the healthcare system, of course, is very important. Uh, another thing that you should be aware of if you're if you're of retirement age is your Canada pension you can take with you. It's portable, so you'll still get paid no matter where you are. But the old age security rules are different. Um, old age security. I think they pay it for six months, and then after that, there's a test, and the test is related to how long you're, you know, were you born in Canada? If you weren't in Canada, let's say you were here 40 years, I mean, you were, you were, um, uh, uh, you were only in Canada for 20 years of your age. They look at, I think, they look at a 40-year period. So if you were only here for 20 years, you would only get half of it after six months. So you're, if you're dependent on your OAS, you have to take that in consideration because they claw part of it back if you become a non-resident. So that, you know, that's, um, um, of course, the, uh, the disadvantage again is our very high tax rates. Although the UK has pretty high tax rates. The US is of course much lower than, oh, quite a bit lower. Uh, although I think that's gonna change. Something has to pay for all the things for that humongous $2 trillion infrastructure bill and whatever, I imagine that US taxes will go up, but ours are over 50%. Once you make, it's on, I think the, it's 125,000 and it starts to be like that. And there's a surcharge as well. 
Uh, I don't know if they could raise ours anymore, since you have to work more than half the year before, before you can keep any of your money. But and, and the other major things are, are more sub subjective. Um, we have a strong employment market where we need people. Uh, our healthcare, which we talked about. We, we're a wonderful multicultural country. We have a low crime rate. Well, not so much in Toronto, but we do. Um, we have terrific social programs. Our programs for COVID were much stronger than the US. Like that we really supported our people. We, I, it was amazing how much support there was and still is. Um, and that should, oh, you know, these are subjective things that still are important. We have a great education system, although it's expensive. We do have the student loans. Um, we have natural resources. We have a you know, terrific great, out, great outdoors. The country is pretty respected. Uh, that some other countries are not so respected. Um, uh, well, we, except for China doesn't like us very much right now, but other than that, everybody's respected. You know, it's pretty respected. Um, we have a, a good reputation. Um, other than that. And the, con the cons are, again, the tax rate, the health system. And we have a lot of government control here. If so mm -hmm. if you don't like government control, you wouldn't like Canada. And our cost of living is pretty high. Um, hmm. So that I think that answers. There, there isn't, it depends, I think it depends on how old you are a lot, you know, and, and what you're, why you're leaving. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of, there's a lot of this nomad. The other thing you should be aware of when you're leaving is that the whole world is getting together to stop the, the tax havens, like Panama and all these places where there's no tax BVI, all the tax havens all over the world are, they're already reporting. There's just a few places that are left and they're fairly, fairly being blacklisted. So um, you're, you're not, in the long run, um, I don't think the low, the, the no tax things will last. Um, I think it's a, but then again, you could always come back. They don't penalize you for coming back. They welcome you back so you can keep paying taxes here. So um, I, I think that the situation, the, no, the whole nomad situation, which is a whole, um, the nomad, um, it's like a, what do you call it? Sort of a force in the world for, is uh, going to be relatively short lived maybe five, a few years, I think everybody's gonna be taxed. The world is moving towards that, the G20, the, the G7. Uh, they're trying to block that, you know, change it so that it's at least a minimum tax everywhere. So you should take that into consideration, you know, when you make these kinds of, of changes. I can't think of anything else. Oh, no, that, 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 so, uh, that, 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 that again, that's spot on as well in, in the sense that, uh, if it is that you, it is you're looking for an opportunity to go somewhere uh, and be zero tax, I think once you're working and if, if I mean if you're doing I guess like uh, manual labor, maybe that's flying under the radar. But once you're doing something substantive, then you know and you you participating in the banking system, there's automatic exchange of information, otherwise known as a common reporting standard. So governments are speaking to each other, they're trading information. And so, you know, being off out of the system is, it's becoming a next, next impossible. And, and to, to the quest, to the point uh, that the person, I guess, was looking for and asking that question, 
uh, when you sever tax residence with Canada, if, if we understand you correctly, I mean, you would lose access to the, the social system and the, and the social benefits that come with being a Canadian tax resident. And especially when we're going through uncertain times and, you know, the level of income support and, and, and so on, it, it won't be available to you anymore. So it's just something to, to keep in mind. Yeah. So, yeah, thank you for that. So going on. There, to the, I just thought, sorry, if I could yeah, sorry, just a couple of things which I think are important uh, because um, I, I, we, we spend a lot of time in our practice servicing nomads, right? And um, people should be aware. I have a, I have a secondary business. I have two partners. We're in international finance. One of my partners is a former international attorney and uh, bank, uh, central banker. And so he has a real pulse on the world and he has over 30 years experience. And I've been in it, I've been doing this well on eight years, the international finance. It's a different world out there than Canada's very, um, almost provincial in a way, in the way that it conducts its business. Um, and what, what they're saying is the move to the digital economy, they're telling us that the fiat system is, very, is going to be very short-lived, which it is cash, uh, you know, notes, and that uh, the, there is a move all over the world to basically crash the digital system and get rid of the underground economy. Because in Canada, 50% of our uh, earnings are underground. They are, and our taxes are not paid. One of the reasons our rates are so high in Canada and the US, in, in basically in the Western countries, is because of the underground economy so that you've got only half of the people paying tax. In, in the US, I, I think when the, there was a thing where only 47, 45% pay federal taxes. Um, and in Canada, it's worse. We have 50% that don't pay, they don't pay sales tax. They don't pay um, federal taxes or corporation taxes. That means that the red, we're only 30, 35 million people. So that leaves the other seven, and a lot of them are children, right? So how many people are really supporting all our systems that, you know, all the different things that the government has to pay for? The world is moving against this because it's, it's causing tremendous inequities. And so people who are making these plans should be aware that the digital system is, that the fiat system is on its way out and the digital system is fully trackable. And I, we think all the countries are moving towards their own digital system, the U.S., China already has their own uh, digital digital system. Uh, the U.S., Canada, even we, we have our. It'll take a, you know maybe a few years, but U.S. is pretty close. I don't know what that's going to do to things like Bitcoin because Bitcoin is the sort has soared. You know whether it'll survive once the countries uh, because it's not trackable, right? But other than that, uh, cat the cash system is leaving. So we need to be aware of that when we make make plans and move our businesses offshore, that it's probably going to be short-lived and that, you know, you really have to look at quality of life, um, you know, and you can be aggressive in your taxes, but, you know, you can't, you can't cross the line, obviously. Um, then again, you can always come back, you know, it, it, whereas in the U.S., I think you're always taxed on, if you want to keep your U.S. passport, you're taxed forever. In Canada, we don't do that. You can keep your passport. It's a, it's a factor, but it's not going to, if you just keep your Canadian passport and nothing else, that's not going to be a factor. And people would hang, you know, you hang, and if you were born here, 
If you weren't born here, you should hang on to that Canadian passport for dear life. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. That, 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 I think that's great in that uh, I 100% I and I think anyone in, involved in international tax space like we are can't help but agree with you 100% that the, the ship to the digital uh, central bank currency system means that every transaction will be trackable. So it's for those who are not fully compliant with the tax system in Canada or wherever else they're exposed to, they need to get their, their act together because it's, it's just inevitable. And I think that's a great segue into what I'll do is I'll jump down to question number five, and then we can come back up to question number three after. How does Canada tax cryptocurrencies right now? Okay, so cryptocurrencies in Canada are a commodity because they're not a security. They're not, uh, they're not governed by the central bank. Of, uh, like the, the Bank of International Settlements, all the central banks report to the Bank of International Settlements in Europe. And the Bitcoin, uh, or not just Bitcoin, all the cryptocurrencies, because Bitcoin is only one of them, right? Although it's the one that everybody thinks of. There's Ethereum, there's all kinds of them. Uh, they, um, uh, uh, they consider it as a commodity, like any, like, like any commodity, sugar, uh, anything like that. So you have, it, you have an inventory of it, if, if you're in the business, right? So it's considered a commodity. It's taxed 100%. At, I mean, at full, not as a capital gain. It's taxed as a as any other commodity would be. You know, income uh, sales versus um, uh, cost. So if you if you buy it and then dispose of it, you're taxed on 100%. So if you were one of the lucky ones who bought it for a dollar when I did turned it down because I thought it was nuts, and now it's 60,000, 60 something thousand, you're Going to be taxed on the whole 66 something thousand. <laughs> um, I did really turn it down for a dollar. I thought it was nuts. I remember one of, one of my uh, one of the kids brought it to me and I thought, what are you crazy? It's not based on anything. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, basically it's taxed as a commodity. The only time it can be taxed as a capital gain if you don't do it very, uh, if you don't do it as with the intent of uh, making money. If it's just a, if you just sort of come across, come into it accidentally. Like for example, let's say you have a lawyer who agrees to accept Bitcoin. So, and he, and let's say his bill is $5,000. So he takes Bitcoin for $5,000. He takes a tiny piece of the, of the Bitcoin and uh, he will record in his taxes the 5,000 income because you know you convert it, you basically convert it at the at the time at the time that it's uh, that the invoices that the service is rendered basically and invoiced, and um, then now let's say that lawyer doesn't he forgets about it, uh, he's you know he forgot he had a wallet. Hopefully he remembers the password <laughs> or whatever, um, and and he um, forgets about it for a year, and in that year it, it doubles. He would have an argument to say it was he had no intent of buying Bitcoin or investing in cryptocurrency. It was an accident, just an oversight, and he should be allowed to, to consider that a capital gain, which would be half the tax. Um, somebody that actually happened. The government went after him, and the government lost. 
But even one isolated incident, if you meant to make a profit, can bring it into being a commodity and fully taxable. So you have to be really careful with it. Um, so I think that's it for how it's taxed. Um, okay, fantastic. Thank you for that. So I'm going to go back up to the previous question in the list. So uh, as a foreign investor, what's the best way of investing in Canada real estate? Should it be a holding company structure? If so, which jurisdiction? Should it be in my own name? What are your comments and thoughts on that? It, it, to answer that question, you have to, that's a broad question because you have to know a lot of facts. In other words, the foreign investor, what country are they? What, what, where, you know, what's their passport? And what's their, um, what's their uh, residency? You have to know that. And you have to know, I would say generally, it's always better to own through a company. Uh, I don't like owning real estate personally, because especially, it also depends on the type of real estate. Are you investing in residential? Or are you investing in um, commercial? Um, in Canada, there is a negative, there is a, for, um, there's a uh, tax on, uh, in, in British Columbia and, and Ontario, there's in certain, mostly in Vancouver, and in uh, Toronto and Montreal, I think as well, there's a 15% tax and or in BC it's 20% on, I think it's only on residential. I, I didn't see any evidence it was on commercial. Um, they didn't want speculation in the residential market and the costs, you know, they thought that that was what was driving the, uh, the prices, but it, is, it didn't work because our prices went up tremendously, even in spite of the tax. So uh, it's just um, just a big hit, 15 or 20 percent. Also, a lot of the foreign investors got around it by just having making a deal with the Canadian and having them uh, buy. You know, so there wasn't there wasn't much compliance. I don't think the government really made a lot of money from it, and it, it caused a lot of problems. So, but I would say you should always own in a company, residential because of the, the exposure. You know, in case there's an accident or something. Um, now, as far as jurisdiction, um, again, it, it, you know, if it's offshore, they're going to look at it more, more, uh, more carefully. Um, if what, however, if you, however, you own it, the problem is that by owning real estate in Canada, that gives the, the company, the foreign company, and a permanent place in Canada. They, so that probably would bring you in under Canada tax, which may or may not be bad. You know, it depends. Um, I, I, it's a hard question to ask to answer in the in general terms. You really need specifics. Um, that being said, Canada, the real estate market has been incredible here, and it doesn't show any signs of uh, of changing. There is a uh, there was an announcement today that the interest rates are going to go up in April, but I don't think they're going to be able to raise them very much um, because uh, uh, they have to follow the rest of the world and, and the U.S. and the, the rest of the world is not raising the rates. So they, I think the rate, aren't, you know, if the rates really start to go up, that could slow down uh, the real estate appreciation. Um, the residential has been very good. You can also, of course, you can rent it. So you get income from that. And of course you would have, the problem with rent with uh, rent is you've got withholding tax. If, if the corporation is considered to be non-resident, then your tenants have to give you, have to 
pay you have to pay the government 25%. And, and they're technically supposed to issue an NR4 to you. So you're going to lose 25% of your revenues to the government. Plus, of course, you're going to have um, issues when, when you sell the property. But that's this is the case everywhere. It's not any different. I don't think it's any different in the US. Um, I think you, you know, you look at um, how safe is your this money that you're going to invest in Canada, what you know, what is it, what are the alternatives to that money for that money? I believe in a balanced, balanced type of investment. So you want some money in real estate, you want it in different countries, um, you want some money in um in in, in different, you know. Uh, in stocks or in, in uh, bonds, uh, I'm a I like uh, bonds, um, the bond market for uh, uh, the top banks. So you know that can you can you can look at something like that. You can look at treasury bills on the U.S. or all of the interest rate is lousy, but they're a terrific investment as far as they hold against inflation. Um, that's always it's a it's one of the solidest solidest investments. So real estate should be a piece of your portfolio. Um, it but to give, to give any more advice, or not advice, pardon me, to, to just talk about this topic, you really have to be having have a situation, specific countries and spe specific people to see what the best way to structure it is. I think there's room. We, although our um, Canada is, is catching up, hasn't caught up to the rest of the world in our, um, in, in our values, we're still a bargain. Uh, even though our, we don't think so in the country, but outside, and especially with the Canadian dollar being so low, uh, you can. You're even if you have to pay tax, the, the difference in the, in the buying power of your currency coming from the U.S. or Europe um, is so much stronger. Um, and then, of course, if it's coming from Asia, you've got you know the tax the, the tax haven. And Canada's been a pretty is a pretty solid country as far as the way it's managed. At least it was. Sure, <laughs> now we, we never had all this debt before, but you know, um, I guess we'll you know we'll manage it. Um, the, our country has tremendous natural resources which are not being developed, and we hope that's going to change, and that maybe will offset the the tax rate eventually. So that's the answer. I think I can't really say more than that about specifics. I don't think. Okay, that, that's great. Yeah, that, that's great. And for those who have just joined us, because uh, like yes, Alan, I've I've seen your your, your question below. So we're just going through the questions that were pre-submitted first, and then we get to your question as well. For those who have just joined, uh, Rosalind, her camera is not working. There's some technical issues, which is why you can't see her and uh you can hear her so people yeah for those of you who are asking uh yes we're aware of that and for those of us for, for those of you who joined us on facebook i'm seeing your questions and we again we'll get to them in the order in which we we receive them so th thanks for your patience uh moving on to the next question we have what are canada's control foreign corp rules like okay well that's an interesting question there's two, when you're talking about CFC rules, there are, there's two different streams here. One are the CFC rules, which are being brought in all over the world. And we're something about what we already talked about a little bit, you know, as to what's happening in the world. So the, 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 the reason for CFC rules are to prevent 
um, multi they really were targeted at multinationals uh, who with a lot of subsidiaries who were making, who were taking advantage of the lowest tax or no tax and you know, not paying tax in their home countries. And all, you can think about all the big ones, your you know, Facebook, all of them. They're, they, and legally, this is not illegal. There's nothing improper about what they're doing. This is the, they're doing what they're, they're being aggressive, but they're not crossing the line. They just have to change the rules. So they're completely in compliance. Um, all the big ones, Facebook, um, all of them, uh, what's the, uh, Amazon, all, all of these guys, they're all, that, and that's what the world is bringing in these rules so that basically they can't do this and that, they'll, the, that it, their home countries will get, actually not just their home countries, but all the world will get a share of their taxes instead of them just paying, you know, creating uh, some, some, some uh, subsidiary somewhere. So the CFC rules in Canada is the same. Now where you, it, so it's, it's focused, it really was focused on, the, on the, the big movers in the world, uh, of which there are tremendous, tremendous uh, inequities in taxes, but it captured the small guys too, because it's still the same rules. If, you, if, you're, if you're a Canadian company, I'm sorry, if you're an offshore company with subsidiaries, um, sorry, if you're a Canadian company with subsidiaries, you could have one subsidiary that just does a little bit of business, but you're still going to get caught by the same rules. So, and the rules are that, that you know, they're going to want to get their fair share of the tax. Now, there is another issue to look at when you're talking about foreign controlled corporations. And that's, um, you could have a foreign corporation, let's say a Panama corporation, um, that is, um, the heart and mind is in Canada. So Canada looks at heart and mind of the management of the corporation. If heart and mind is determined to be in Canada, that company will be taxed as a non-resident Canadian corporation. That means it gets the highest tax rate. It doesn't get, which is about 35%, as opposed to the small business tax rate, which is less than half of that. So if you get caught in that, um, and they really, they push that really hard, They'll look at um, whether the where the heart and mind is. That's one. So that's one test. Where's heart and mind of the control of the corporation? The other test is permanent establishment. Do you have a physical presence in Canada? Is there an office? Is there a building? Is there a warehouse? And interestingly enough, for e-commerce businesses, digital businesses that are completely digital, which is an interesting thing, if the servers are in Canada. That's enough to get to, to, to make you taxable. And most, uh, most digital businesses don't realize that they don't really think about where their physical servers are. Um, I, I don't know what if the US does that, because there's a lot of the servers for these businesses in the US. I don't know if they pull it, if they also do the same thing, but Canada does. They'll look at physically, you know, where, if you're uh, selling online, where's your, where, do you have warehouses in Canada? Where's the fulfillment? Where's the logistics? A lot of the warehouses that are here because it's because of our dollar and because it's much cheaper here than anywhere else. So that's quite a question when you're talking about foreign control and taxation. And again, you have to look at the specifics, but you have to really look at it because you can be caught unawares. And you know, the government can come at you four years later and you know all this interest, and you know, if they come after you. You have to fight them. You have to pay the lawyer. They don't, if they lose, they don't pay your legal fees. So 
you know, you have to, you have to really look into that carefully, really examine your business to see if there's any way you're going to get caught in the Canadian tax or U.S. tax or anywhere else that you, know, you don't want to be. Sure. Absolutely. It does. And again, that's a great segue into the next question, which is uh, how is e-commerce taxed, in, generally speaking, in, in Canada? So you have two issues with e-commerce. One is corporate tax. And the corporate tax is like what we've discussed. In other words, we would look at where are the servers, where is the fulfillment, you know, what all that. We sort of already hit on that. Um, the uh, you, it's the same rules, really. Uh, it's not different e-commerce than any other type of business. You look at uh, what are the ties to Canada, really. It's sort of quite similar to the, the personal rules. They're, it's kind of the same principle. You look at what does the end, because don't forget a corporation is an, is an entity. So it's, it's, it's not, in a way, it's kind of like a person, except it doesn't survive its demise. <laughs> the company doesn't, right? Um, some people think people survive the demise. I'm getting it off course. Okay. Um, that was a joke. Nobody's laughing. Okay. Um, anyway, um, so uh, the big issue is, is not the corporate tax because that follows the same rules and you have to worry about the same things. It's the sales tax. And it's very interesting, the sales tax, because um, it depends on what you're selling. If you're selling a product to a Canadian, you have to charge. HST uh, or GST, and in the province, and you know you have to sort that out. And everybody can see it because, you know, we buy practically since the pandemic. We buy everything online, and we're all no matter we're buying online. It's coming from the U.S. We, we're charged HST or for Ontario, right? And you have to look at the province, and you know the tax that our tax rates in Ontario are different to the province, and you have to pay in each area um, where you get. Where what's interesting are again the digital services. For the digital streaming services, Canada decided to make the individual who receives the streaming service pay them directly. So if I have Netflix and they don't charge me HST, which they don't, I'm supposed to pay the government. Well, there was an auditor's report on this joke and they discovered that nobody's doing it because nobody knows about it. I didn't know about it till today when I was actually researching the question and came across the auditor's report. And they said that in, since 20, this rule came out in 2017. Since 2017, there have been exactly 500 payments. Nobody, 500 times in the whole country did anybody ever pay their HST personally, uh, like whatever the percentage is, right? And then they only paid it once and then they stopped paying. They have no, they can't enforce it. And, you know, like everybody in Canada has Netflix. So the only 500 people altogether paid for whatever, whatever digital streaming services we have. Um, what's the other one? Uh, Amazon Prime, HBO, we have them all, right? We, we've never, I didn't know until today that we were even supposed to pay. They never publicized it. And also, do you know that, the other part of this is so far the Canadian government has done zero audits on this on, on this stuff. So, but they are moving now to, to really close this up because they need money in every which way, all everywhere in the country, they need money. So you're uh, you have to now sort this out, sort out your business and uh, pay the appropriate taxes to for wherever your customer is. 
And then you also have to look at the taxes for if you have a permit, if you can be said to have a permanent establishment in Canada. You have to look at your situation and get advice from experts. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> it's changing also, it's evolving and changing all the time. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, e-commerce and uh, taxes around digital services is one of those areas that is very cutting edge and the rules are constantly evolving internationally as well as domestically as well. So, yeah. Does, does the U.S. tax e-commerce, uh, uh, streaming oh. services? Uh, I mean, the sales tax? The states, it's state taxes, right? Right. So in, in terms of the digital services, the, the big guys like uh, Netflix, not that I'm aware of. Uh, I mean, I they pay they tax. They pay corporate tax or whatever, but to the consumer. Yeah, I'm uh, talking about sales tax. Yeah, like no, bad no, taxes and sales taxes. Yeah, so the sales taxes tend to be reserved for physical or tangible products. But uh, uh, increasingly, I think 10 states so far have jumped on the bandwagon for SaaS. So software as a service. So for yeah. those, 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 uh, those smaller digital products. Uh, products uh, are being taxed increasingly but it's a it's an emerging space i think um, it's all going to be taxed and oh I yeah think eventually that when, yeah. when everything goes digital we may see mm -hmm. that the tax is done at source like you know they yes. don't even have a choice um mm -hmm. I, that's another thing that's happening you know that's going to have another impact um mm -hmm. and of course the we don't see the way things have changed because of the pandemic everybody's mm -hmm. buying online yeah and like um, we were, you know, the Hudson Bay, the Hudson's Bay company, the other day, mm -hmm. um, there's nobody in it. There's no product. We figure they're going to close. A lot of these big stores are closing. Nobody's, nobody's using them anymore. You know, there's no staff. It's mm -hmm. so much easier to buy online. Returns are easy. Yeah. Everything, we have a paradigm shift that probably wouldn't have happened for five to 10 years, but it's, it mm -hmm. happened immediately. You couldn't, you were locked down and, you yeah. needed to eat everything in sight, so you ordered it, <laughs> mm -hmm. right? And yeah, 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 absolutely right. Yeah. The, 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 the lockdown accelerated uh, certain pre-existing trends. So, uh, you know, across not just North America, but Europe and, and oh, Asia. All well. over the world. Similar yeah. story. It's a similar story. Okay. Okay. So, so the next question, and to the person that asked this question, I'm sorry, but it wasn't very clear. So just to kind of rephrase it as we understood, as we understood it, as we received it today. So one person, they're two business partners. One person is Canadian tax resident, uh, presumably in, in Quebec. And the other business partner is located outside of Canada doesn't matter where it's someone outside of Canada. And they own a Panamanian company, 50-50. Now, whatever goods or service that this Panamanian company provides or sells or does, the revenue is received into the U.S., into U.S. bank account. And so the question that we receive is from, the, obviously, from the Canadian tax resident. They're asking, you know, hey, how is this money going to be taxed? Is this self-employment income? And well, we had a bit of discussion about it. Uh, Rosalind, do you want to summarize your, your perspective, given the yeah. limited information? Yeah, we, we don't really have enough information, but yeah. one of the things we wondered is what business are they in? We don't know. Um, but the, the issue here, there's a basic issue here, and we don't know 
if the Canadian tax resident is, um, even though it's, he only has 50% of the corporation, is he managing the corporation? Is the heart and mind in Canada? We don't know. If the heart and mind is Canada, then this, this Panamanian corporation will be taxed as a non-resident Canadian corporation. So that would be something we don't know. Now, as far as the Canadian, um, it's not self-employed earnings, uh, because assuming that um, even if the heart and mind is 50-50, that, I, I, that may even be enough. I don't know if it has to even be 51%. I would have to look up case law on that because the government would try and make it taxable here. But the question of what he does with his income, um, assuming he's only a shareholder and there's no heart and mind issue, then all he can get, the only income he can get is dividends or we, you know, he, he can't uh, get salary or he would be part helping to manage it. So, um, and one thing we were told just as an aside um, is that if a company wants, has employees in Canada, but they're not heart, they're, they're not heart and mind, they're, they're not running the company, you have to set them up with a payroll. There's a payroll service you use. You don't pay them out of the company or you, you run into the, being brought into this whole thing. There's, there's, there's payroll services set up. All they do is pay Canadian employees on, top, on behalf of other companies. So let's say this guy is not heart and mind, but he's just a, cog in the wheel and he's not really um he's an investor but he's not he's not really running the company then he he if he needs to get salary out of this company then he should be set up with with a with a service that does the payroll and handles it and issues his t4 and everything he still get a t4 um if he if he is just an investor then he gets dividends well but if, if it comes in as a dividend and he's taxed as a dividend and he won't get any that there's no uh tax um there's no dividend tax credit. He's just taxed on that dividend in Canada at full, full pot, whatever that dividend is. Um, he, he doesn't have self-employed earnings because you can't have self-employed earnings of a company. I mean, I, I guess you could, you could, you could invoice them. If he, let's say he has, um, he's doing a service for them, but it's not heart, heart and mind, as opposed to having payroll, he could invoice them and then put that through self-employed he would have to watch the HST because uh, if he goes over 30,000 and the work is done in Canada, then he would have to charge the company HST and they wouldn't be able to get it back. So we don't have enough information to really answer them. Uh, this would be the type of thing we would know, need to know the specifics. There's a lot of considerations here that uh, would have to be worked out for these guys to, um, um, to make sure that they're compliant in all the jurisdictions. And of course, there's the U.S. matter of the U.S. as well. I don't know where you know, that's your area. I don't. I don't know too much about the U.S. Um, although I'm learning. Um, so uh, I don't think we could say any more about that for them. Okay, that, that's fine. Thank you for that. We have ten minutes left, and I'm going to pick up a question from a viewer on Facebook. If you spend most of the year abroad yet continue to be Can Canadian tax resident and pay your taxes into Canada, right? Can you still withdraw your R RRSP? And do they still do a clawback on the OAS? Rosalind? Okay, so if you're, if you're a Canadian resident, you're, I mean, you're, you're still classed as a Canadian resident because you come out, you, are you here more than 183 days? 
We don't know. Um, should we assume that it, if you're here more than 183 days and you've got all the ties that we went over in the first question and, and you're cast, uh, you would be a Canadian resident. If you're less than 183 days, you would be a factual, and you have all the ties, you'd be a factual resident, still taxed as the same as a Canadian resident. So um, you would not be, your RSP um, would not have the, the if, if you're not a Canadian resident, your RSP and you take money out of it, you have the withholding. Uh, otherwise you don't, you just have the regular tax, but actually the tax, depending on your tax bracket, the tax could be higher if you take money out of it. As far as the OAS clawback, no, you wouldn't have it because you're a Canadian resident. So you could still get your OAS and it wouldn't be affected at all that I could see. Just the fact that you're not living here doesn't make any difference. It's your residency status that matters for OAS. And again, you would have to go, I would recommend you go through the, 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 pro, the, the proper thing of having having the, U, uh, the ca Canada say what your residency status is. Um, fill out the NR73. Uh, if you were working with us, you would be working with us and a lawyer. And the lawyer would send in the NR73 for you with a letter that we had vetted that would say that in her opinion, or his, or his, in her or his opinion, uh, uh, you're, you are a factual resident or you are a Canadian resident, whatever. Um, and then you have that and, they, and wait for their opinion uh, and have it in writing because they can, otherwise you're leaving yourself open if you're not here more than 183 days. Okay, thank you for that. Uh, hope that answers your question, Raphael. Okay, moving further down, last questions, we last few questions from one person. So this person, he is asking a question that I think you addressed earlier, oh, we touched on earlier. So they are working in South America, in, in Chile. And they're asking about exchange of information. Yes, we did mention earlier that many countries in the world, including Canada, have signed intergovernmental agreements where they share financial information. So if it is you do, uh, you are working and you have a bank account, you have a business or whatever in, in Chile, and you are depositing money into financial institution there, they as part of the onboarding process, as it is in Canada, which is reversed, they would ask questions to figure out what other tax jurisdictions are you exposed to? And if Canada is mentioned, and they, even if you don't mention it, if they figure out that you are also Canadian exposed or Canada exposed, then potentially there will be an exchange of information under the CRS common reporting standard or the automatic exchange of information. So the point, in saying all that is that regardless of which jurisdiction you're in, you wanna make sure you're compliant with that jurisdiction as well as Canada to the extent that you're still a Canada tax resident. So that's that question. Okay, someone- Yeah, wanted... Chile, Chile does have a tax treaty with yeah. Canada, they do. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, do we have any more questions? I'm just gonna do a quick check on some of the other platforms no i think that's it Rosalind. thank you very much for your time sharing your insights and your expertise catherine good to see you as well 
And if someone wants to follow up with you and get further information or to engage your firm, what's the best way to, to reach you guys? So the best way to reach us, you can reach us on, on, on WhatsApp, yeah. on um, email, on, uh, well, I don't know, I'm not too good on Zoom, as you can see, <laughs> um, email, WhatsApp, text, uh, any, anything like that. Um, okay. Unfortunately, I don't know how, I would post my information, but I don't know how to do it uh, on Zoom. Okay, that, that's, that's no problem. So anyone who wants to uh, find out to how you would engage Rosalind or Catherine or another member of their team, just, just, you can just reach out to us at hcj.tax, just help at hcj.tax. And we'll, because we, we service quite a number of clients uh, together with, with, with their team. So we will be happy to make that introduction. So you just reach out to us at hcj.tax and we'll put you in touch with the right member of Rosalind, Catherine, and their team. So on that note, thank you for joining us. This is being recorded and it will be uploaded on to over 20 podcast platforms. So iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, wherever it is you get your favorite pod podcast, Amazon, it's going to be there. It's also on YouTube, on Facebook, as well as on our website, hcj.tax. Thank you for joining us, joining us and we will see you next time. Have a good evening. Here are four ways we can help you. Number one, sign up for free webinars on U.S. Expat Taxes and International Entrepreneur Taxes at www.htj.tax. Number two, stream premium educational videos at www.htj.tax. Number three, contact us for tax optimization consult over Zoom. Number four, high net worth. We can quote for doing your U.S. international taxes returns. Our books and upcoming events are available at htj.tax. Please subscribe, like, share, and comment below. Email us at help at htj.tax to engage us to advise on international tax or business matters.